You are listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope you are encouraged by this today. For more information about our weekly services or messy church, you can find us at haddingtonelamchurch.com. Happy Father's Day. To celebrate the occasion, I might have shared a few of these last year. I have a few dad jokes. It's something that happens when you become a dad. You just begin to, to get into the realm of dad jokes. We actually got our, our son-in-law, when he became a dad, we got him a book on jokes. I was going to tell you a time-traveling joke, but you didn't like it. Right now, I'm reading a book about anti-gravity. It's impossible to put down. Did you hear about the guy who invented the knock-knock joke? He won the Nobel Prize. A father carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. Did you know who was the fattest knight at King Arthur's round table? Sir Comference. Dad, make me a sandwich. Poof, you're a sandwich. That's a classic. Why does Snoop Dogg always carry an umbrella? Faux drizzle. I told my wife that she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. And lastly, everyone of us dads has used this. If not, you have permission to use it. Dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry, I'm dad. That's the classic. Years ago, Hallmark Greeting Cards, which is one of the world's leading card companies, volunteered to go to a prison and allow the inmates to send Mother's Day cards to their mothers for free. They were overwhelmed by the response and they had to extend the offer another day to accommodate all the requests that came in. So that company offered to do the same arrangement for Father's Day to the company's surprise Not a single inmate requested a card to send to their dad. And that spoke volumes. Fathers are extremely important in the life and development of their children. And it's been something in adverts in the years since. They always seem to, especially in like uh, sitcoms, in films, the dad is always the buffoon. They make it like the dad's clueless. He's uninterested. He's so square. He has no idea about anything but they're extremely important in the life and development of their children. In fact, in the Bible, you see many times as someone was getting ready to pass on, they would put their hand, their right hand on their head and bless them. And there was something in the Father's blessing. Theodore Hesba says this, the most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. I found that to be true in my life. It's like more than what I could teach my daughter, more than what I could say, more than what I could do. It's that she would know that I loved her mother. For those of you who don't know, I was raised in a single parent home. Some of you around Christmas time met mom. She came across for a visit. My parents divorced when I was six years old and my father had very little to do with my brothers and I. He was not in our lives much at all. I don't know if you knew that, but that was our case. One thing that I had learned growing up without a father was that our view of God can be skewed by the view that we have of our earthly father. Our earthly father can represent to us the character of our heavenly father. That's why it's important how we act around our children because we could be what they're viewing heavenly father to be like. Our view of God through the lenses of our own experiences can shape how we picture God. If we have an absent, resentful, or vengeful father, we can think that that is how God is. And I struggled with this for years, as our father didn't have much to do with us, and I just thought the same. Well, God's probably not really that interested in me. 
Now, some of us have great fathers who have been amazing. Maybe some in this room. I see Henry has a shirt that says such. Those of us who either don't know God or have not read much of the Bible will have a hard time seeing God as anything other than a mean, ready-to-smite-you God with a club on his shoulder, just waiting for you to mess up. But if we read our Bibles, and as we read it and get to know him more, we begin to see that he is a perfect, loving father. Jesus would say that God is love. And also he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. In fact, he said he came to reveal the father to the world. Friends, the father wants us to know him and be known by him. He wants us to know him. God is not a faraway, uninterested being up in space somewhere. He's not the big guy in the sky. He wants you to know him. He's searching for people. He wants everyone included. And one way he accomplishes this is us. He wants us to tell people. He wants us to be his voice, to be his hands, to be his feet. He wants us to go and tell everyone about him. And see, this is where we may fail. See, if we view God as anything but a loving father, the way we see him or present him to others in a way can repel people instead of drawing them. Jesus drew people to himself and he pointed the way to the father. My pastor friend used to say that the last thing that you would want, he said, is someone knocking at your door selling wrinkle cream who is covered in wrinkles. (laughs) You would be like, I'm not buying that product. And he used to say that Christians seem like they're always baptized in pickle juice. Like our countenance or the way that we present God repels people instead of drawing him. On Revelation 4.11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Friends, he delights in us. It's for his pleasure we're created. Not because he needed somebody to smite. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He loves people. Jesus said that as he was leaving, he said to his disciples that he's going on ahead to prepare a place for us. Do you ever think about that? That he is preparing a place for us. He knows what color we like. He knows if we want curtains or blinds. Like He's preparing a place for us. Because he wants us there with him. He loves us. And this was something that really blew my mind this morning. Was thinking about John. You know, John always wrote in his gospel that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. But he was the one that wrote it. And I always thought that in a sense, like he was was boasting. Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. But what blew my mind was... I don't think it was boasting. I just think he grasped it. I'm John. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved because he grasped that Jesus loved him. And we can say our name. I'm Mike. I'm the one, the son that Jesus loves. I think it is not boasting, but when we grasp how much he loves us, we could all say, I am the one who Jesus loves. Luke 14, 16 says this. And he said to him, And he's telling a parable. Jesus is speaking. A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, 
come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his servant, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring, bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind and lame. And the servant said, Master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. The master of the feast was determined that some would enjoy what he prepared. Imagine if you've ever hosted a dinner party or you've hosted a garden party and you have everything ready and everyone can't come. And you're like, I don't want this food to go to waste. I don't want my house to be empty. The master says, go find anyone and everyone you can find and bring them in. If those originally invited make excuses, the master commanded his servant to go and persuade or to compel them to come and fill his house. Jesus said to compel, to indicate God's great desire to fill his house. Now, it wasn't just grabbing someone and dragging them, although sometimes it seems like that's what we may have to do, because these outsiders and outcasts needed to be convinced that they are welcome, compelled by love. One of the things that I loved when I was reading about William Booth was that he and his wife were so compelling those to come in. But the church that they brought them in didn't want them there. They were poor and they were smelly. And it says that they even would throw like dead cats at them as they would walk through the streets, compel them to come in because he wants his house full. And sometimes we need to convince people that you're welcome here because sometimes churches can be the least welcoming place. Not this one, not this one, but it can be that way. Spurgeon says this, Charles Spurgeon. So if we're to have many sinners saved, we must go out of our own quiet haunts and go forth into frequented places. We must preach in the street or at the marketplace or on the village green. Compel them to come in. Let them know that there's a God that loves them and that he has a place for them at his table. He sends out the servant. Who's the servants of the Lord? We are the servants of the Lord to compel others to come to his house. That's one of our main priorities. God wants his house full. There's still room at his table and his will. Sometimes we ask, what's the will of God? One of them is this, that none perish, but that all will come to repentance. So as I said, I'm the father. I have one precious daughter, Judah. She'll be 28 in a few months here. She and our son-in-law, Luke, have two precious children. We have two grandchildren. So growing up without a father, as Sherry and I were getting ready to be parents, I didn't have anything to draw upon. I had no idea. My brother that you met a few weeks ago, he's only, believe it or not, 11 months younger than me. In fact, we're the same age for two weeks. His birthday's late November and mine's early December, and so for two weeks we're the same age. So 
I had nothing to draw upon. My, I didn't have like a, a sibling that was a few years younger, so I knew what it was like to be around a baby. I had no idea. I didn't know what being a father would be like. And I'm thankful for a few godly men that were in our lives, and they helped my brothers and I. And I'm extremely thankful for an exceptional mom. Mom had us in church every week, and to this day, I'm so thankful that she had us in church. So I desired to be a good father. I didn't want to just be a dad. I wanted to be a good one. So to prepare for this, I read a lot of books. I would encourage you, sometimes men may not be uh, readers. In fact, if that book comes in the post and it's that big, we're already dreading it. We want pictures and we want, <laughs> we want it to be 17 pages. But I read a lot of books and I found this resource called Focus on the Family. And they taught a variety of ways to handle many of family life situations using a biblical godly viewpoint. And I found that very helpful. If you desire to be a better parent, I would encourage you to look up resources. Today we have so many things available. Back in the day we didn't have many good books to read. I think there was a few books on child rearing. To be a good father doesn't happen by chance. Every Christian parent ought to be waging an all-out battle against the forces of darkness and be very intentional to train up their children to know Christ and follow him. It even says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from that path. Train them. It doesn't happen by accident. It begins, and this is where it's, I don't mean to step on your toes, but it begins by setting the example. Gotta walk the walk. Being a parent, you find out that there are more things caught than taught. In fact, to many of our dismays, something that we've, our children have seen us do or say, we hear them say, <laughs> to our absolute utter embarrassment. And then we realize, where did you get that? Oh, they saw me do it. I remember one time driving. My daughter was in her car seat in the back. She must have been, I don't know, four or five years old. And this woman in front of me was going really slow. And I'm like, oh, come on, Grandma, come on. She goes, Grandma's in front of Grandma's there? I'm like, no, Grandma's not there. Our children are always watching us, and they're learning. They want to see what we're like when we lose our temper. They want to see, are, are we praying late at night? I told you those times where Mom would be praying 2, 3 in the morning, and I would hear noise, and I would go into her bedroom, and she would be crying to God, praying because we either didn't have something or that, that she was bringing us before God and it did something deep in my, in my life. Clarence Buddington Kellen says this, my father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. So this is for all of us. Are we taking time to read the Bible and pray with our family? Are we making sure that our family gathers with God's people on a Sunday for worship and teaching? Do we talk at home about spiritual things? Our children want to engage with us. They want to hear stories about how God moved in our life or how God answered prayer. They want to know about spiritual things. Do we apply God's word when there are conflicts or trials at home? This is interesting. When Jesus, his disciples said, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. In Matthew 6, 9, he tells us to start our prayer, to come to God like this. Our Father who art in heaven. I love that he didn't say my father or pray God. He says our father. He is our father in heaven. There's a tremendous intimacy and closeness in that statement. Our father in heaven. And although in heaven he calls us his sons and daughters, 
In 1 John 1, 3, the disciple who he loved, John, says this, see what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, bestowed on us, that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. We forget that part and that, that we are. We are his sons and daughters. He says, the reason that the world does not know, recognize or acknowledge us is that it does not know or recognize, acknowledge him. See, the world doesn't know him. They don't know our father. And that's where we come in. We are to represent, or as Sherry likes to say, to represent him to the world. See, this world has this skewed view. If they believe in God at all, they think he is the God with the club on his shoulder. And we need to represent him. Our job is to reflect the glory of God to the world that doesn't know him. To be, as Jesus said, salt and light to encourage people to come. God proved that he loved us. Today, if you have ever struggled with the idea that God loves you, here's the proof. He gave us his own son. He put it all on the line. Don't miss the gravity of that. He put his love on the line for us. And he gave it all. He didn't go halfway. He didn't stop halfway. They didn't put in one nail and he's like, time out, that's me. He went all the way to the cross. And Jesus says of our father in heaven that he's a good father. And again, sometimes if our view of our earthly father is skewed, we don't see God as a good father. He is not too busy for us. He's not a deadbeat, absentee, or disinterested dad. He is an ever-present help in time of need. When we talk to him, when we pray, we know that he hears us. We should have faith that he hears us. When we pray, when we ask, we know that he listens. Better yet, he always knows what's best for us. There used to be a television program years ago called Father Knows Best. And it almost would be laughable today. People would say, my dad doesn't know best. He doesn't even know anything. Father knows best. He provides for our needs and he molds us and disciplines us like a good father would his children. He delights in us and he actually desires a relationship with us. There was nothing we could do to earn it. No amount of good deeds or our desire to just be better or do better could bring us into the family of God. Ephesians 1.5, Paul writes, For he foreordained us, he destined us, he planned in love for us to be adopted or revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of his will because it pleased him and was his kind intent. I'm using some of the scriptures today out of the Amplified because I do love that bit. It says it was his kind intent it was something, intent means something that is planned, proposed, purposed, or designed. His kind intent, his love for us was to, from the foundations of the world, to adopt us into his family. He did what he planned to do by giving his only son to take our place and pay the debt that we owed. Our sin had earned us nothing but death and hell and eternal separation from God. So Jesus took our death and the wrath of God upon himself at the cross. He conquered it all so that we wouldn't get what we deserve. 
He took what we deserved, which was the punishment and death, so that we could have what he deserved. He lived a spotless, sinless life, and what he deserved was eternal glory. And he exchanges with us and gives us eternal glory and right relationship with the Father. In John 1, 10 through 12, and it says, He came into the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It did not know him. He came to that which belonged to him, to his own, his domain, his creation, his things, world. And they were his own, did not receive him, and did not welcome him. But to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the authority, the power, the privilege, the right to become the children of God. That is, to those who believe, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name, gives us the right and privilege to be his children. In Psalm 68, 5, it says that he's a father to the fatherless and a judge to the widows is God in his holy habitation. See, he's a father to the fatherless. He's been one to me. He's been one to me. Many Christians live with what my friend calls an orphan spirit, where they don't feel that they belong. They're not part of a family, and they have like an orphan spirit. They live like they're all alone in the world. They feel isolated, lonely, and abandoned. But friends, with Christ in our life, we are part of his family. When we accept him, we are part of his family, and that feeling should never be. We're his children. We're adopted in. We have a father. It says he's a father to the fatherless. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He says, can a mother forget her child? No, it says he has engraved us on the palms of his hands. It says he will never fail us. He will always show compassion. He will heal our hurts and comfort our hearts. He forgives us when we mess up. He disciplines us because he loves us and knows what's best. Our father treasures us. Sometimes, like, you might be saying today, even before I finish, I don't believe that, or I have a hard time accepting that. Psalm 103.13 says this, Just as a father loves his children, so the Lord loves those who fear and worship him with awe-filled respect and deepest reverence. Know him and draw near to him. Just as a father loves his children, the Lord loves us. Jeremiah 31.3 the Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. And it says also in his word that his kindness leads us to repentance. Not his wrath, not his anger, not his justice. His kindness leads us to repentance. His love toward us is eternal. In that song in Christ alone. There's a line in it. It'll be on the screen. And it just says, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. David would say this in Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. The psalmist has lived through the span of his life and attests to God's faithfulness and provision. I want to encourage you to trust him today. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.